Ramsey Solutions, it's the Ramsey Show, where dad is dumb, cash is king, and the paid-off home mortgage has taken the place of the BMW as the status symbol of choice. We help people build wealth, do work that they love, and create amazing actual relationships. We're glad you're with us. Christina Ellis, Ramsey personality, number one best-selling author, is my co-host today. As we answer your questions about your life and your money, the phone number is 888-825-5225, 5225 Starting off this hour is Emily in Nashville. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the Ramsey Show. Hey, Dave. How are you today? Great. What's up in your world? I'm doing good. Um, I just have a question. I am the trustee of an estate. I've got everything liquidated, but the final piece of property. And I've got a cash offer, but I'm not sure if I should take it or not. Okay. What do you think Um, the value of the property is appraisal? Well, we weren't able to get an appraisal because it's commercial property. What do you Um, think it is worth? What do you you estimate the value to be? I don't really know because the the realtors told me anywhere from three seventy five to six fifty is what I should expect for it. Um, well, so good God! Is a, I yeah, mean, you right? could throw a hand grenade and hit that. It's a know, bit of right? a range. What is this? What kind of property is it? Um, so it used to be a flea market. Um, it's closed now, so now it's fifteen and a half acres, um, and so it's it's. Basically, it's a, a little weird situation of there's not a lot of road frontage, and half of the property still has woods on it, and so the it's three and a half acres zone commercial. Uh, fifteen and a half. Fifteen and a half acres zone commercial. Yes. Where is it? This is up in Ohio. Oh, okay. Okay, and so basically, it's it's raw ground. I mean, the flea market was just they stood up some tables and stuff, right? Um, there is three structures. I've got a big barn, a storage unit building, and then a walk-through pavilion. Um, they're all cleaned out and empty. And then, so is this the is this of, zoned commercial in a metro area or what? Um, it's it's not exactly metro, but it's not rural. It's like an up and coming area. And it's zoned commercial. Correct. Yes. Okay. So what would it be used for? So if I were to buy it, it's a piece of basically raw ground. I'm not, you don't need a barn on a commercial property. You're going to mow this thing down. You're going to build something in there. You're going to build a mall on that, strip mall on that. Am I going to build a transmission center? Am I going to uh, put a fast food joint on it? What am I going to do with it? It's really whatever you'd like to do. Oh, I know that. But, I mean, what do you think it's going to be used for? I mean, if I was in Ohio, I would use it for storage units myself. But okay, um, we've had we some developers come in. And- gotcha. Okay. All right. So you listed it for how much? We listed at six fifty. And what do they offer you? Um, we're at five fifty now. Is what we've dropped down to, and they offered me originally four hundred, and I got him up to four fifteen. But he he won't come any higher. Hmm. Okay. So we, we, the bottom line is we don't know. We know this is under asking, but asking was a wild guess on value. Yes. Because we really don't have anything in this conversation or in conversations you've had to establish value, right? Correct, yes. Emily, how long has it been listed? So when it was my grandparents' property, um, they've had it up and off the market for 15 years. Um, I listed it myself uh, in March, and I have a six-month contract with the realtors I have right now. 
um, I'm just part of the concern is they're dual realtors, so they're doing my side and the other side. So I don't, I don't have the most uh, excitement that they may be giving me the best advice on if I should take this offer or not. Okay. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong when I say this. This is a difficult piece of property. Yes, it's very difficult, very unique. <laughs> Limited market limited road frontage uh your grandparents tried to sell it um now some guy comes along and he's establishing value for whatever reason he's going to use it for i have no idea what it's worth um in this scenario i can't get a gauge on it based on our conversation so it's hard for me to uh do this uh it does feel like there is a value to getting rid of something that appears to be hard to sell it does mm-hmm. feel like there's a value to uh, putting a bow on this estate and being done with it. And everybody got their money. And we walk away. Um, I, it doesn't sound like you're leaving $200,000 on the table. I don't believe that based on what you're telling me. Do you? I don't think I am. Um, it's just, it's, I just have a hard time believing the market has shifted so much from January when I got some of the first numbers from the market analysis to now well the market you know, analysis was 375 to 650 yeah it's not exactly a narrow range yeah i mean if it was six and a quarter to 650 well we've had actually got something that indicates value but 375 to 650 doesn't indicate value that's just somebody that can't find a comp and we're guessing yeah i mean i you know uh Based on the two things I said before, I'm probably taking it because I like to simplify my life. <laughs> okay. Okay. But I, I can't, I'm not doing that because I'm a, a assured of the value. I don't, I really don't think what you're telling me is you're leaving 200 grand on the table. You've had no offers in 15 years, you know, before with grandma trying to sell it and now you putting it on the market and, and we can't establish value and it's an unusual piece of property and a not so booming uh street it's got limited uh street frontage uh yeah there's just a lot here it's a bit of a white elephant property in that sense and so yeah i'm I'm probably just gonna cut cut bait and move on to the next thing if it's me I, i just i like simple and predictable and low risk and you know would you buy this piece of property for 415,000 no so you you're gonna buy it again if you don't take this you bought it back yeah. Sense. Well, is it a conflict of interest for the real estate agent no. to be representing both sides? Is that normal? It's very normal. Not okay. unusual at all, um, especially when it's disclosed. Uh, because the thing is this, um, you know, they, they've disclosed what's called a dual agency. But, uh, you, you know, it's just assuming people have uh, integrity. If you don't think your real estate agent has integrity, then then you shouldn't have them anyway, no matter what. But, um, I, I, you know, they... They told her three seventy five to six fifty. That's not even. I could just make stuff up like that too, <laughs> and I ain't even seen the property. You know, I mean, it's just it's, it's such a range that yeah, wow, that's that's amazing. The real estate market is uh, officially slowing down, uh, and uh, it's not a bad thing because it was so white hot that every piece of property went on the market was a dead gum auction, and that's not healthy for the market. That's not healthy economics. So it's slowing down to where the buyer demand is more attuned to uh, seller availability, inventory supply versus demand. But demand is still greatly over supply. 
if you have a traditional piece of property you're going to list, you're not going to take a beating on value. But you are going to not sell it with 85 offers over the weekend. Uh, we're already seeing that slowdown uh, in a recession, tor- towards a recession, or an almost recession, or where, whatever we're going to call this thing statistically. But uh, the market has slowed down. Not a bad thing. Still sell a house reasonably. Still buy a house reasonably. Folks, listen up. I know some of y'all are putting off getting life insurance because rates went up, restrictions were added due to COVID, but it doesn't change your responsibility to take care of your family. Lucky for you, insurance companies are lowering their rates again, and there are more options than ever to let you skip the medical exam. Yes, it's actually easier than it was before all this mess. So now is the time to get it done. If you don't have term life insurance or not enough, you need to take the step, take care of this, and let the team at Xander Insurance help. I've used and recommended Xander for over 20 years because they shop the top term life companies to find you the best rates and they keep coming up with new ways to make the whole process faster and simpler. Apply online or over the phone, sign with electronic or voice signature, no exams, it just doesn't get any easier. Go to Xander.com or call 800-356-4282. It really is time to get this done. Christina Ellis, number one best-selling author, Ramsey Personality is my co-host today. Guys, this Building Wealth Tour that we have, our live event tour, is blown up. On Monday, we announced a sellout for Phoenix on September the 13th, and we launched uh, the following, or the day before, uh, in Phoenix, September the 12th, as a second show, and it almost sold out half in 24 hours, so going crazy, and today we're announcing that the Sacramento event, November the 1st, is officially sold out as well. And as I told you uh, yesterday, we can't get uh, extra uh, venues in these other cities, so there won't be second shows on those. So uh, that means we have now September 12th, Phoenix available. We have Minneapolis, November 10th available, and San Antonio, November 15th available. But I'm warning you, all three of those are going to be gone shortly. So if you want tickets, quit screwing around. Go get your tickets. Now's the time. $25 tickets, or you can get a four-pack as low as $60. And that means you can bring a whole group of friends for what you pay for pizza. Uh, Yeah, this is a deal. And it's going to be George Camel, Rachel Cruz, Dr. John Deloney, Ken Coleman, and me will be taking pictures, signing books, and uh, answering questions, doing all kinds of things. It's going to be an incredible, incredible event in these different cities. And they're red hot, the Building Wealth Tour. And get your tickets at RamseySolutions.com uh, while the getting's good. Washington, D.C. is on the line. David's with us. Hi, David. Welcome to the Ramsey Show. Hey, David, Christina. It's great to talk with you. You too. What's up? So um, I understand why target date mutual funds are not a good idea for my retirement account, because Uh as you explained, I'll need the money to last for 30 years past my retirement date. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh My question is, would target date funds be a good idea for my kids' 529 accounts? I have a four-year-old and a seven-week-old, and because I'll need the money for a specific four-year windows, it feels different than that 30-year timeline you always talk about. So I'm wondering what you think about that target date funds in a 529 account. 
Well, so here, here's what happens in a target date fund. They shift the portfolio as the, quote, date arrives to be more and more conservative, as you understand, David, correct? Right, yeah. Okay, so the answer to the question, the math is not going to be nearly as dramatic in college as it is in retirement, number one, because there's not as many years to, up to the date involved and not as many years after the date involved. Your point, this is only four years, okay? So if you were to run the math and say, I stayed, uh, by, by definition, if you do what we teach, being that four types of mutual funds are just a good growth stock mutual fund, you're more aggressive stance doing that than doing a target date, agreed? That's correct, yeah. Okay, and so if you stay in a more aggressive up until that four-year mark, even at the date of the first semester, you don't cash the whole thing in. You only cash in enough to go to that semester. Right, right. And so were the market to be down, you could only cash in one semester, and even if it isn't down, you're going to ride out, and you're only going to take the money out as you need it, so you've got a four-year spread to ride any market variations, number one which is the reason to get more conservative because you can't stomach the variation mathematically. Right. And so here, what's so, going to happen is so, you're going to make less using a target date than you will using a straight growth stock mutual fund because you're going to earn a, an aggressive amount all the way up until and through the time that you take the money out. Now, the downside potentially is that, uh, that the market went down and stayed down four years at the exact wrong time which would be like a record event. So I didn't do that, in other words. I just bought mutual funds because of that concept right there. Uh, it, it comes down to timing the market, number one. Number two, um, uh, the other. So you're, you'll make less if you use the target, but you're taking less risk. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And congrats on the new baby. That's seven weeks old, four years old. You're getting on baby step five. These babies are going to be set up for success, especially asking these questions and really thinking about where you're investing in the portfolio. Yeah. And to Christina's point, you you know, the fact that you actually are aware of all of this and bothering is the answer to the equation, not the difference in target versus growth. The difference in target versus growth is almost two guys arguing over a cup of coffee about something it really doesn't matter much okay it'll matter some and so what i addressed kind of was the theory right. but the actual dollar change in the situation 98 percent of the dollar change in the situation is because you're a good dad right and you're addressing this you know two percent is the difference between target and it ain't the difference in these two things if you do a target or I do is neither in neither case is the kid not going to go to school because of this because right. because we got a stud dad who's stepping up and doing his job here and taking care of business to your point right a lot of people with a seven week old are just trying to focus on how much sleep they can get not <laughs> well, you got <laughs> that too yeah. that's, a, that's a fair thing to focus on by the way uh, spoken like a grandpa who keeps them occasionally all right Megan is in Nashville hi Megan welcome to the Ramsey show hi how are you Dave and Christina Great. What's up? Okay. So I just graduated from undergrad debt-free, and I have about 8000 in my emergency fund, and I'm about to start my Ph.D. next month, and the program is fully funded, um, and additionally, they pay us a stipend of 35000 a year. So essentially, I'm getting paid to pursue my degree. Dad, gun, um, girl. Get it, girl. Yeah. <laughs> what are you studying? 
so I actually met you a couple of days ago. It's a PhD in the biomedical sciences um, oh, at yeah. Vanderbilt. It's an interdisciplinary program the first year, and then you specialize. Well, you're so dad gum smart, they're paying you to go there. You're amazing. <laughs> it's a good gig, yeah. It's a fe- fellowship Thank deal, you. huh? What was that? Is it a fellowship? So the first year, I think it's just paid for by the school, and then depending on what uh, lab you join, then like those grants that go towards the research are also paying their PhD students. What are you going to do with your life? Um. So I'd like, as of now, I do like academia, like being a research scientist, teaching while also being a scientist at a university. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's going to be perfect, yeah. Yeah, yeah it sounds appealing to me right now, but there's also different things like an industry and government and all types of different jobs that you can. Oh uh, yeah, I would. So. Yeah, I was just interested what your goal was. This is yeah. very cool because you're obviously yeah. unbelievably bright. Congratulations, very well done. Well, thank you, thank Christina. You. I, I think her it. purse is smarter than me. So, but yeah, um, but yeah. Uh, so, what their question then is what? Okay, so after building up my emergency fund to 15000 which is my goal right now, um, it seems like my next step would be to begin investing into retirement 15%. But I did meet with a SmartVestor Pro, and he recommended not to do so because I am in school and to like first start investing in non-retirement accounts because um, he said it was important to keep my money liquid, especially as that I'm in school. Good so answer. That this is usually the advice. Good answer. That is usually the advice. Yeah. Yeah. But I, for some reason, I feel like I'm in a different situation than, you know, an undergrad student because the program's fully funded and additionally I'm being paid. So to me, it doesn't seem very different than if I were to get a job right after undergrad. So my question is like, once I do, fully fund my emergency fund, what should I do with the leftover money that I have? Yeah, the the difference is you're a glorified intern now. When you graduate, you're going to be making bank. Mm-hmm. So this is not like your big girl job. I mean, so, no. I, I, you know, I'm going to err on the side of safety in this case. You have so much to concentrate on to go through a Ph.D. program. That is a rigorous process, particularly at Vandy. And uh, and you're you're up to the you're up to the challenge. You can do it, but I don't really want you concentrating on money. I want you concentrating okay. on finishing this PhD, and then the money will come. Yes. And and all, I I, all yeah, because if you're screwing around over here with investments on the side, you got your brain half into this stuff. I, I I'm gonna stick with what the smart investor pro said because he said what I told him to say. By the way, which is when you're in college, pile up cash. You are the best possible investment. Invest in yourself, even though you're not having to pay for anything here. I got that. Uh, but this is just your safety net to make sure you finish this because I can't think of anything more important than you finishing this in your world. It's a big deal. It's good. This is the Ramsey Show. Ramsey, personality, number one best-selling author, is my co-host today. 
Drop by the Ramsey Solutions headquarters anytime you'd like. We do this radio show, this podcast, this YouTube event, whatever you want to call this thing, the Ramsey Show, for three hours every day from 1 to 4 Central Time. And uh, lots of folks, as they're traveling somewhere else, drop by here on their way to whatever their destination is and just hang out for a little while watch the show happen and uh, there's free coffee homemade cookies and uh, we've got a whole visitor center and the show is done on the glass so you get to watch us do this um, which is questionable but you do get to watch it and we don't charge you for it so if you don't like it we can just cut are paying half but you know but either way and in the lobby where all this happens is a stage we built when we built this building for debt-free screams justina is on that stage how are you justina i am fantastic dave how are you better than i deserve where do you live i am from manchester new hampshire welcome to nashville thank welcome. you welcome good to have you now how much debt have you paid off i paid off two hundred and seventy-one thousand eight hundred and nineteen dollars goodness and your uh, how long did this take? Thirty-eight months. Wow, very long months. And your yeah, your range of income during this time started at about one hundred and five thousand, mm-hmm. and went up to one hundred and eighty-seven thousand. Ooh, ooh. Okay, what do you do for a living? I am a physician assistant. Oh, PA. Yes. Okay, all right. Good for you. And so, based on uh, that information, I'm going to guess and say that was student loan debt. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, wow. Had a couple little ankle biters, had some medical debt, um, had some personal loans, some credit cards, but $255,000 was Sally yeah. Mae's eviction notice. So you're what, 28? 28, yes. I'm guessing, but that's about what the numbers would tell me. Yeah, good. <laughs> good stuff. Well done. Amazing. So you came out of school, big old pile of student loans, intimidating as crud. But you've got the ability to create a big shovel as a PA, mm-hmm. and uh, you went after it, and you've been working your tail end off all through COVID and everything else here, and you knocked this thing out. Tell us the story. What inspired you to do that? How'd you get connected to us? What's the what's the backdrop? Yeah, so I actually was living in uh, fantasy land when I graduated. Um, I was told by a bunch of broke people I took financial advice from that I would be fine because I was going to have a great income. So I kind of ignored the fact that I had student loans. Um, I <laughs> I knew I had them. I didn't look at the number. And when I got my first paycheck as a PA, I went out to a very fancy dinner, enjoyed myself greatly. Mm-hmm. And then a couple weeks later, the interest on my student loans capitalized. And I gained about $40,000 just in um, interest. Oh. Nice. And then that made me look at the balance. And when I saw that it crossed over a quarter of a million dollars, I went, oh, that's a problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it felt, honestly, that was the moment that it, it felt like I got punched in the stomach. Yeah. yeah. And um, I thought, okay, I, I don't know that this great, fantastic income that I worked so hard for is going to get me out of this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you Sca- know, it scared you. It did very badly. And, you know, just a few weeks after that, um, you know, I had a really great paycheck and ended up cashing out a uh, coin jar to get a tank of gas. Mm. And that was the never again moment for me. Mm. I said, something has to change. So I, in a panic, Googled how in the world do I pay off these student loans as fast as possible? And honestly, I was looking for the magic pill, the secret, the, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, quick answer to write you a script right exactly exactly you know i wanted the the quick answer the forgiveness whatever i could do 
um, to get them gone as fast as possible. And that's when I found a YouTube video of somebody else doing a debt-free scream um, who was in a very similar situation to me. And I thought, oh, that's just one off. You know, that's just that, that one person. And then all of a sudden there was another and another and another. And I thought, okay, well, all these people are doing this. Uh, I, I can too. Yeah. There's nothing special about them. No. I, can, I can do it too. That's it, it. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah. So what kind of things did you do to get out of debt? You obviously have a great income. Was that all your primary job? Did you do side hustles? What'd that look like? So uh, part of that income jump is changing jobs. So I actually moved from um, Connecticut up to New Hampshire. So I had a job change, Mm -hmm. um, which helped a little bit. But I kept the job in Connecticut um, because the pay was very good during COVID. Mm -hmm. So I was actually commuting from New Hampshire down two states away um, for a side hustle. Um, so I would work my regular job during the week. I would go down there on the weekends. I would work extra shifts. And then on my primary job, I was also picking up overtime, on-call shifts overnight. Um, I was doing anywhere from you know 60 to 80 hours on average. My uh, record was 127 hours wow. in one week. Um, so it was just a lot of hours. A lot of hours. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. So the, the, because all of this is right in the middle of COVID. Yes, sir. And so the 38-month lands right all over the top of that. So mm-hmm. uh, sadly, that actually helped your income. It, it did. There was no they, shortage they, of hours. They desperately needed your help. Yes. Yeah, and there was a shortage of every type of medical personnel mm-hmm. at that time. And so, uh, uh, wow, wow. Did, and your, s- did your coworkers think you were kind of crazy? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No question. They, they, they all have a, a touch of the docitis, as you like to say. Yeah. Um, so nobody was doing what I was doing. Yeah. Are you glad you did it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How does it feel to be free? It's a weight off. I mean, it it's indescribable. Honestly, yeah. it's. I feel like I can breathe again. Yeah. I don't owe anything to anybody. Nobody's coming after me. Yeah. If we take this thirty-eight months and make that the be- the beginning of that be the beginning of a 10-year period after 10 years you're going to be so far financially ahead of the docs who did not do this yeah because now you've got a two hundred thousand dollar income basically with no debt yep and you've got the ability to build wealth the ability to be generous uh the ability to make choices in your career you're not trapped by mm-hmm. some program you're not trapped by uh some kind of golden handcuff process that's all tied to the student loan debt You've got the, you know, and every one of those things are going to cause you to go crazy. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. You did so good. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's powerful. This is incredible. This is so powerful. And especially right now for people listening, there's so many people that are feeling anxiety about the student loan moratorium ending and they think the same thing. You know, I got a great job. I don't have to worry about this, um, about paying it off. I'm just going to carry these loans around forever. What would you tell those people? It's the mental aspect of it. You know, it's the fact that I can go to sleep at night and I know that I owe nothing to anybody. And bigger than that, the last couple of years has been a huge behavioral change for me. I am completely different person than I was three years ago. In what way? I am much more intentional, both with my money and both and with the decisions that I make in my everyday life. I mean, I think before I was kind of just floating through life and Mm. I was letting life happen to me and Mm. now I take value in taking control over my life it's yeah it's interesting the empowerment part of being empowered to take over this money thing and beat this debt down tells you I can do this in other areas Mm -hmm. it tells you I I actually have more control of things than I like to 
think and people like to think. So let me ask you about something else that just popped into my head. I'm just really curious. Basically, during COVID, you were working a bizarre number of hours. And there was a period of those months where I'm guessing even you didn't know what you were running into. I mean, in a sense, you were running into a burning building every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, you know... After a while, we began to get data, and we began to realize the situation, and some of the stuff was overblown, and there was a lot of drama on COVID. But in the early days of that, the medical professionals were, you had to think, I may be taking my life in my hands. Mm-hmm. You adapt. Mm. You adapt. It, now, but you weren't going into those situations for money. You were going to those situations because you're a healthcare professional. Yeah, that's what I what I, I, I do. put words in your mouth, but I assume... <laughs> Yeah, that's the profession that I chose, and that's the life that I that I chose, and yeah. I love what I do. Because a lot of do anything uh, else. <laughs> a, a, there is a number of not a lot of I don't say I don't know what the number is, but there's a number of people in that world who just chose to not go. So, mm-hmm. well done. We're proud of you. It's an amazing young woman. We got a copy of Baby Steps Millionaires and all the other books for you. Two hundred seventy-two thousand paid off in thirty-eight months, making one hundred five to one eighty-seven. Justina from Manchester, New Hampshire. <laughs> Count it down. Let's hear a debt-free scream. Three, two, one. I'm dead. <laughs> oh, if I go into a hospital and I need a PA, I hope she's there. <laughs> This is The Ramsey Show. personality number one best-selling author is my co-host today open phones at 888-825-5225 john is with us in jacksonville florida hi john welcome to the ramsey show thanks dave and christina i really appreciate you taking my call um the question is um probably not typical but um i'm part of a church board that's pretty conservative and it has uh, managed to um get themselves out of debt and, ha- and carry no debt um, unfortunately, we're in the middle of a um, voting period of deciding whether or not to do a church remodel, and the majority of the board is um, comfortable with um, obtaining a $1 million loan to conduct this um, church remodel. And obviously, I'm not. Um, I've shared my opinions. I've shared Proverbs 22-7 with them and lots of other things I've learned from you. Um, but I was just wondering if you had any guidance on um, maybe trying to uh, come up with a resolution well um there's a lot of factors at play here um i've been in these situations myself um a couple times um number one uh you don't and i don't believe that debt is a sin according to the bible i hope you don't i don't no, and I, I, I um, but I also can't find a single time in Scripture God used debt to do His work. Larry Burkett yeah. used to say that the you know, there's no no time in Scripture that the Amalekites had the Israelites hemmed down in the getting ready to kill them off in the in, in the uh, uh, in the canyon, and so they did a bond issue. It's just not in there. 
They ran down to the bank and right. got a loan. It's not in there. There's no time. There's no positive reference to debt in Scripture. And so biblically speaking, debt is stupid, but it's not a sin. It's just dumb. Right. Okay? Now, you got a group of people disagree with that on your board, obviously. Um, you've got to reconcile several different things. So you, you've covered that issue with them already. Um, and... And again, I'll quote Larry Burkett because he's who taught me a lot of these things, in the, especially from a Christian viewpoint or a biblical viewpoint. Um, he used to say that too often the church board looks more like the chamber of commerce than anything else because it's people in the church, uh, usually men, who are successful business people in the community. And so the pastor and the congregation looks to the successful business people to run the business and the governance of the church. And so it's not unusual for your church board to be a banker, a car dealer, an insurance agent, uh, exactly or, right. or, or whatever on there. And, and, so, and the problem with that is uh, they bring their best ideas and think that they are the truth rather than, I mean, you've got a banker on there, that, you know, rather than what does Scripture say? And so where I think, and apparently you think, that Scripture ought to be the baseline, the plumb line by which we make these decisions. And so um, uh, then that brings up a couple things, all right? Then that brings us down to they're going to do it anyway, right? Right. Well, they, we're going to vote on it and decide. Yeah. Uh, we haven't voted yet. I mean, if you, um, can, if you can persuade enough of them to use the biblical plumb line rather than their professional training to make this analysis – which is what should be done, then you can probably talk them out of it. But I, it, a lot of times you can't. And I've got, you know, I've had been in those situations where the guys I'm arguing with are friends of mine, but they're just wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and yeah. so then you've got to decide a couple things. Number one, I would never tell someone in a congregation to leave a church just because the church took on debt. I'm vehemently right. against it. But again, I don't think it's a sin. I just think it's stupid. And if you leave a church every time you disagree with something the church does, you're going to be in a different church every week. Because there's right. always some part of church is you get to disagree. I mean, that's just all you right. just count on being upset about something. And if not, somebody will make up something to be upset about. And so the times you should leave a church is when you have uh, lost hope in the integrity or the wisdom of of the leadership and the only time i have left right. the church is over that where i've lost hope in the integrity of the leadership or i've lost hope in the path that they're on i just cannot align with that but it's never over a single thing uh with you know it could be over a, a doctrinal issue or something else but it's never over a single event like okay i left because they did this remodel i i would not tell you to do that right. i would though it would be hard for me to sit in leadership on this board if they're going to go in a, against something that is a core tenet of my life because I'm going to then be endorsing, in a sense, my presence. If I stay on this board, I'm going to be endorsing what I believe to be something that is very, very wrong direction. Uh, again, it's not an integrity issue. It's not a salvation issue and that kind of thing. And I'm not telling you to resign. I'm just sharing with you where my heart is. In other words, if you were a congregate, I would just say vote against it, make your best case, and then suck it up. And if there's no other reason, no other problems with this church, it's still your church. But the fact I'm sitting on this board says that this has my 
name on this stupidity. And I can't, I would struggle with that. But this, to, to be very clear, though, I am not telling you to do that, John. And it's one of the reasons I don't sit on boards. I'm on zero boards, nonprofit or otherwise. I don't sit on boards because I'm a horrible board member. Because I'm right and you're wrong. I really don't have any other gear. Okay? And so that's a weakness of mine and a strength of mine. Uh, and I don't want to impugn that upon you. You're probably a more reasonable person. John, you said the church is well, debt-free currently, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, and did, I wanted to... Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. How did they get debt-free? Have they? Is it just an older church that's never had debt? Or was there any type of initiative to become debt-free? Uh, no, they've paid off their debt. And, and we've been debt-free probably for a few years. And uh, we do have some reserves. And and my proposal is not to have absolutes like Dave said. It's not, yes, we do the project, but no, we don't. How about we do the project in stages? Um, there is a, a GC that um, proposed to the church and came up with these excuses why you don't want to do that. And I'd like to hear if Dave has an opinion since he just finished that major project. Um, but that that was kind of my approach. And, and after listening to the GC, I not only wanted to take a shower, like Dave says, I wanted to wash myself with bleach, too. So. Yeah. Um, which is, is another it, um, problem that guy doesn't need to be that guy doesn't need to, you don't trust the guy's integrity you don't think he's got right, the best exactly. interest of the client you think he's got the best interest of his own pocket right exactly you're hiring the wrong guy even if you do the rehab that's a separate issue one yeah. more problem right. but but the uh but yeah it can definitely be done in stages any construction project can be done in stages is it less convenient yes it's less convenient is it um you know, but I, you know, if I was the leadership team, I would just go before the church and go, "Hey, guys, this remodel is something that'll help the cause of the kingdom. We can, we'll be able to have more people in here. We'll be able to lead more people to Christ. We'll be able to disciple them better. It's a good move spiritually for us to do this. Uh, you guys need to start writing some checks so we can do it, right? And I think it helps to have those people that were involved in the last initiative to pay off debt tell their stories. I was recently on my uh, church board before we moved, and we went through a whole initiative where our church paid off debt. And then, of course, board members change out after a few years. And it was nice to have some of the older board members who had been through so much of the financials of our church and have been through, they've got the battle wounds of what it was like to you know, have the stress of being on a board that's not debt-free and some of the challenges that comes with that. What is so, the, what's the total budget on this church, John? Uh, right now, they're seeing four hundred plus. Four hundred thousand dollars? No, not that they're in the green four hundred thousand. No, I mean, what's the top line? At, what's the top line? You mean of your the total project? annual income at this church? Oh, I don't know. Have those exact numbers? And you're on the board? Yeah, I don't have them in front of me. I don't. No, I mean, I is it seven million? Is it a million? What is it? No, no, yeah, it probably would be a million, somewhere in that range. Yeah, okay, well, let me give you another statistic, working with 50,000 churches. You're taking on so much debt, there's an 82% chance your pastor is going to be gone in 36 months because you're getting ready to strain this congregation. The pastor fallout with new debt within 36 months is when it's a huge amount of debt in ratio to their revenues, is it's massive because you're getting ready to strain the whole system. Don't do this. Please don't let them do this. Please. You're going to mess up a whole good thing. Oh, my gosh. I don't think you can stop them, though. It's a runaway train. This is The Ramsey Show. Have you been inspired to make a change with your money? 
Want to know where to start? Take our three-minute money quiz to get a plan you can follow. Go to RamseySolutions.com and search for Get Started to get a plan for your money. 